Good, everybody. Welcome to another Gold Standard Podcast, part of the Niners Nation Podcast Network. I am Rob Stats Guerrera. He is Levin Black. What's up, Levin? Not a whole lot. I'm ready to get this draft done with. No, if Debo's <laughs> sticking around. Like, isn't it weird? We're about to have the NFL draft, and the thing I'm most looking forward to is the first round ending, because if you get to the end of the first round and Debo's still on the team, he, he's not going anywhere this offseason. It, yeah, I mean, there's so much intrigue, even though the Niners don't have a pick for the first time since 1996. Uh, but I'm going to be sitting there watching with bated breath for the exact reason that you stated. Uh, we have a ton of Debo Samuel stuff to get to. There's a little bit of Jimmy Garoppolo news as well. Before we do, I want to remind everybody, please rate, review, follow the S, uh, follow the Niners Nation podcast network. If you take the time to leave a review, we always say we will take the time to read it on the show. So I bring you this one, Levin. Two-star review for us. Bergemin says, I like you guys and will undoubtedly listen attentively as the season starts. But right now, ugh. Rob Stats Guerrera? Stats? Really? Your nickname should be Emo. Listening to you rail on the 49er front office is tiresome and unproductive. I like your passion, but you're better off funneling funneling it into, well, anything other than a podcast right now. Heck, take up knitting and make 49er scarves. There are no stats, only emotion that increases my blood pressure. We get it. Jimmy should be gone. Debo should be signed for the next decade. Yelling and screaming about it does no one any good. I swear I'll keep listening and will undoubtedly upgrade your podcast to a five star. But right now, I just can't do it. Two main things from that. Uh, one, it's not your fault that the team has done nothing. <laughs> like we came into the season, hey, trade Jimmy. That was the move. Hasn't happened. So, of course, it's still talked about. It, and at this point is a big negative. And then the whole Debo situation for the last month and a half. Like what else is there to do? That's a franchise changing trade potentially. Because they're either getting a bunch of picks and trading a franchise level player or they're not. And until you have a decision on it, you got to talk about it. But my other thing is, is I I think we got to change you from baby cone to emo cone. Because God, I love that emo comment. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm an emotional person. Okay. And, you know, this is my job. Which is funny because emos are like lack of emotion. But right. This is my job. This is my career. Right. This is what I wake up and do every single day. So the people that tell me I'm too emotional about it, like. I literally get paid to do this. So, yeah, sorry if I'm a little emotional about it. Uh, this next one comes from Chris May, 1978, three star. This podcast needs a new direct or change the podcast to anti Niners Nation. When I first started to listen to the podcast, it was during the playoffs. I've been a Niners fan since the 90s and lived through the Joe and Steve turmoil, Rice and Owens, and the Alex years. I currently live in Atlanta, and of course, I have to outsource my Niners fix. The podcast was good during the season. But Lord, you come off as being a hater to the Niners. As soon as the season ended, you all kept saying, do do not get stuck on a player because it's business. There's nothing more than a Terrell Owens and Antonio Brown drama queen player. I would love for Debo to stay, but also kick rocks if he got something against the Niners. Okay, like there's more of the review, but I'm sorry. It's way too long to finish reading. And I just like these people that are turning on Debo. And that's where we're going to start tonight because that's the biggest story. Uh, I don't get it, Levin. And I feel like, honestly, you're one of them. You have turned on Debo. And I think that since we have started doing this pod, I don't know that there is a topic that we disagree on more than we're going to disagree right now. 
because you have a lot of problems with what with what Debo has been doing. Yeah, a lot of it ultimately depends on what he's doing behind the scenes. But I don't like his media, social media persona this offseason. You know, he can kick rocks, as our reviewer said, for that. He's throwing – it would be different if he was throwing just shade at the team, you know, making little passive-aggressive comments, you know, that other people have done. But him posting, you know, the thing with Troy Aikman in the background – it's, uh, you know, got writing on there about him being greatest. Like that to me is you're going too far there. You're not just insulting at this point the Niners and the current regime. You're messing with the history. And that's a little more personal to the fan base and just the team overall. You know what I mean? Like he's not going against the people that are doing the contract negotiations. He's going against the team at large. And when you do that, that rolls the fans into it, in my opinion. I just, I don't like the way he's been trolling, you know, saying things and that are extremely vague and then coming back and being mad at people for reacting to it. Just get, get over yourself. Like that, <laughs> it's making me turn against him. You know, I'm not there because, like I said, it depends on what he's doing behind the scenes. If he's being ridiculous behind the scenes, demanding way too much, then yeah, I'm out on Debo. But if this is just games to get his deal, I don't like it, but it wouldn't, you know, make me root against the guy. You said the exact thing that I have an issue with, and we got a perfect example of it today because Debo tweeted, or I should say Wednesday, he tweeted, too real to entertain half the stuff y'all be saying, but it do be funny though. Everybody want their voice to be heard about a situation they know nothing about and have just be saying what the next person say. Have a blessed day. You can't be intentionally vague and then get mad when people like us, media and fans, try to fill in the blanks. That's our job as media is to try and fill in the blanks for the fans, Debo. So if you're frustrated by what everybody is saying, and oh, by the way, it sure looks like he is. Because every time a report comes out about why he's upset, he refutes it. And then he deletes the social media posts, right? He refuted Adam Schefter's report. He refuted the thing about him being upset about his usage. So he doesn't like the stuff, the speculation that's coming up here, but he's intentionally being vague leading to the speculation. And you can't do that. You can't have your cake and eat it too. That's the only part of this that's frustrating me. There's two avenues that he could take social media wise that I would have zero problem with. One is laid out all out on the line, you know, out the truth what the negotiations are, what your offer is, you know, whatever, all, all of that, or shut the hell up. <laughs> Those are the two options. If you're not posting anything, guess what? People aren't tweeting nearly as much at you. But he's inviting these tweets and right. then getting mad that they come. What he's doing reminds me of Kevin Durant, which is the most frustrating, in my opinion, mo- the thing that turns fans against you the most type of persona to have on social media. Kevin Durant has turned most fans against him because of what he does on social media and his burners and him responding to every last thing people tweet (laughs) at him on Twitter. And Debo's starting to follow that path, and it's not a good path to go down if you want to be well-liked and have a lot of positive tweets your way. Paul Sanders watching on the Niners Nation YouTube page. This is a special live edition of the Gold Standard Podcast. Paul says, when Debo's only leverage is media talk and demanding a trade, that's what he's got to use. And it's not an unfair point, Paul. 
These are the tools that are available to Debo, and he is using them. I don't have a problem with him scrubbing his social media and him, you know, I, the, the stuff that's critical of the 49ers, that doesn't bother me at all. He's pissed at the team. He's showing his anger and frustration. It's his social media. He can do right. with it whatever he wants. I don't care about that. But when you're vague and, and you don't tell us why you're upset and then get mad when we speculate about it, that's the part of it that pisses me off. The thing I've never understood why nobody has taken this route. You know, he he's not wrong that Debo's only leverage is to make the team look bad. So why not put the truth out there? If the team's not <laughs> offering you a good contract and you're honest about it, guess what? You're going to have a heck of a lot of support coming your way. Even if you tell kind of half truths and play that PR game where you just say they offered you this and it's the opening offer that they might have upped since then. But you know the team's not going to respond to current negotiations. So you can say what you want. Now, I'd have a problem if he's lying, obviously, but say they offered $19 million, like it like it is rumored, as their opening offer. If Debo came out and said, they offered me $19 million, I'm worth more than that, he would have like 99% of people supporting him. Right. Well, that's one of the things I brought up at some point, which now I can't even remember <laughs> all the times I've talked about. I think it was my Twitter space on Monday. There can only be a couple of reasons why he hasn't publicly stated what exactly his issue is. And one of those is it's embarrassing to him. Right. And if if it is something yeah, it's like one that would get criticized, he knows the right. majority of people wouldn't support. The opening offer thing I thought was interesting because Matt Mayoko went on KMBR last night and talked about that a little bit. He said, quote, I know for a fact the 49ers were very cognizant about the fact that the first offer they gave to Debo can't be an insulting offer. The 49ers were very much like, okay, we know we can't offer a number that is considered an insult. They were prepared to pay him. Now, Mayoko carries the Niners water. So take everything he says with a grain of salt. But if that is true... You know, and that's not the reason that Debo is upset. I can't figure it out. Right. Now, 19, as of where we are now, that could be seen. That's kind of the borderline of where it gets to be insulting. The problem is, like I said, when was that offered? Because the market got reset not that long ago. You know, Tyreek Hill reset it. Devontae Adams reset it. And the Cameron Kirk, not Cameron Kirk, (laughs) Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk. Yeah, Cameron Kirk, not not the actor, their wide receiver, Christian Kirk, <laughs> kind of destroyed the market. You know what I mean? The, Hill and Adams upped the top-level pay, and Kirk has an outlier of a mid-level pay that happens to be around that $19 million. So if it was made before free agency in these trades, which it very well could have been, mm-hmm. $19 million is a good starting spot because $21, 22000000 million was top-of-the-market and what was expected to potentially be the new deals, but that got reset. So it, it depends on when that 19 million was offered. If it was early in the process before those other deals, then he can't be upset by it. And if he is, that's why he's not going public with it. If it was after those deals, well, then you're starting to get into some murky water where you could see that being upsetting. The whole thing is upsetting, Levin. <laughs> um, and then like the news changes by the hour, right? Tony Pauline, uh, Tuesday night was saying that the Jets were going to offer the, you know, too good to refuse mm-hmm. all their picks, all their players. You that know, was probably coming from the Jets. The Jets pushing that we're making this King's ransom. Right. And then we get this today from Josina Anderson, 
who tweeted opinion texted to me from a league source on a top five NFL draft team. Debo Samuel isn't getting traded. I don't have a ton of sources personally, Levin. I've only got like one or two. Here's the information they've given me. One, the 49ers are definitely going to honor Debo's trade request. And two, it's highly, highly unlikely that Debo Samuel gets traded. So, so that's where I am right now. I literally have no idea what's going to happen. Josina says he's not getting traded. What do you think happens? I don't think he ultimately gets traded. I, I think that the what the scenario is, is becoming pretty clear with the amount of, like you said, people coming down on different sides saying, oh, he could be traded, he could not be traded. I think the Niners have at least made him available, but it will take a King's ransom and nobody's willing to offer it because of what you have to pay Debo. I think what's going on is the Niners would trade him if they got, you know, say the Jets 10th overall, and then either multiple second-round picks, uh, one, you know, the 38 this year plus next year's, or next year's first. I think if they got a King's Ransom like that, you know, something that would be pretty much the most ever paid to get a wide receiver, (laughs) they would pull the trigger. If they don't get that, then the Niners are willing to play hardball and by that, I mean, they can tell Debo, you're here. You're going to play on a cheap deal because you refuse to sign an extension. Fine. After the season, we'll figure out what's going on with you because they can franchise then trade. You know what I mean? They can still recoup some value. That's why I think the Niners can and should be willing to play that hard line route where they say, fine, you don't want to be here long term. Then we're going to let you play out your contract. And next year, we will definitely trade you. I could see that. Debo can't do anything about it. If the Niners say, we're going to make you play out your contract, Debo can't do anything about it. Because if he holds out the league year, it won't count as a league year for him. Thus next year, if he comes and says, okay, I'm playing now, he has to come back and still play that fourth year of his contract. Right. What he could do is what Jalen Ramsey did, where you come, you show up, you, you know, you participate quote unquote, and then, Oh, Oh, I got a back injury. Oh, you know, I, I tweaked my hamstring. And then that gets into a whole separate battle. But let, I want to stay but, on your. No, 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 no. Because that route doesn't work, in my opinion, because then teams are not going to be willing to give him top of the market deal in the offseason. And if the Niners are offering close to top of the market, that means he's not gaining any money by playing, you know, the BS game of that. And it has the potential if he plays it and. It gets out or teams just sour on him. You know, the teams that are likely to pursue him in free agency or a trade more likely because the Niners would likely franchise him are teams that are very, very close with this coaching staff. And if they say, yeah, he was faking an injury, would say Robert Sala still want him? You yeah, know what I mean? Th- or would he be willing to pay enough to get him? Or if at that point he goes, well, if this guy's faking injuries, I'm not paying a bunch to get him. I don't know. You know, we'd have to get to that point. By the way, Mr. J watching on the YouTube page says, I need more sources. Yeah, I absolutely do. He's got me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my source. <laughs> Mr. Um, no source. <laughs> but this is the the part of this that I think is interesting, right? Let's say the Niners, they don't want to trade him, right? So they, they are literally asking for the moon to the point where if you traded for Debo Samuel and you gave up what the Niners are asking, like you look like a poorly run organization. Let's just say, right. for example... Because the Niners may look at it like this. Let's ask for an arm and a leg plus the other arm and the other leg. If we get it, great. If we don't get it, why are we going to why are we going to accept anything less than that as we rush to get this deal done before the draft later today? 
Instead, what if they're like, if we don't get this unbelievable asking price and we keep him, we have months to try and calm things down and work mm-hmm. this out. We'll fly there. We'll meet with him all, you know, whatever it is. Like we will have so much time to figure this out and we think we can do it. And he's so valuable to the team that we're going to risk it. Maybe that's what they're thinking. It's quite possible. You know, maybe Debo changes his tune when he has a real quarterback throwing to him, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but no, like if you're Kyle Shanahan, you have to think, I can convince a wide receiver to stay here because where are they going to have it better? But this is where knowing why he's actually wanting out right. matters completely. It's 100% of it. Because if it's he does not want to play on the West Coast, he wants to live closer to home, then Kyle Shanahan can't be sitting there going, ah, I can convince him to stay. You know you're not convincing him to stay. But like I said, there there has to be a certain level here of they have Debo completely. The Niners hold all the cards here. They can force him to play on a cheap contract, which, by the way, helps the Niners out um, because that means that they have money that they had earmarked for paying Debo that they could roll over now to help them in future years with free agency and trade him next year. Would they get as much next year? I think it would depend a lot on the season he has. Yeah. I would say most likely not. Now, if he has another even Pro Bowl level uh, year, then – it could be argued, yeah, they, they're not going to lose any trade value and they get a year of having Debo still. So there's a lot of reasons why the Niners could just be telling him, you know, go find a team that's willing to give us a top 10 pick this year and a first next year and is willing to pay you the contract that you want, and then we'll look into it. Eddie watching on the Niners Nation Facebook page, would the team refrain from playing hardball because of how other potential free agents may interpret it? It's not like the Niners are signing a bunch of other free agents anyway, Eddie. Um, but I don't know like... what they offered. They're going to free agents are going to know what the Niners were offering behind the scenes because the agents all talk to each other. Right. And if the Niners are offering a contract that's pretty fair, you know, it might not be quite what Debo wants. You know, if it's 22, 23 million a year, free agents aren't going to be going, well, that team is just screwing their players over and don't want to pay anybody. I think what the Niners would lean on in that situation is like, look, we paid Kittle. We blasted through the tight end market. He set the market. We set the market with Trent Williams. We set the market with Fred Warner. We set the market with Kyle Juszczyk twice. Like, they're going to say we pay our people. Don't forget the kicker. Oh, yeah. They're going to say we pay our people. The thing about it that, that I think would not necessarily make other free agents shy away just people on the roster in the locker room. Like, damn, man, wh- why does every negotiation have to be like pulling teeth? Why does why does it have to get so complicated? Why does Trent Williams have to essentially text Kyle Shanahan and be like, look, I'm eating dinner right now. If I don't get a better offer from you by the time I'm done eating this dinner, I'm going to Kansas City. Like, it should never get to that point with, with certain players. Now, if you want to, like jerk around with Jaquaski Tart and try to squeeze every dollar away from him. That's fine. Like he's not, you know, on the caliber of these other guys, but there are certain guys on the team. You just don't screw around with. It will be interesting to see if Debo does get traded. You would think with as loud as he's been this off season, he's not going to bite his tongue suddenly. And I would hope he tells us what the holdup was. 
And if it's Parag was being a cheapskate <laughs> and like refusing, you know, playing hardball with him in negotiations, and that's the reason why the trade demand came and why he was ultimately traded, the Niners need to reel that in. Parag's not even the GM. Now, Parag does the contracts. From everything I've heard from people who actually have sources, Parag pretty much has full <laughs> say. Well, it's like it's like hearsay. You know, I, I'm hearing it from somebody who actually has a source. The Prague pretty much has full control on the contract, salary cap, uh, all that. You know, he doesn't get to make personnel decisions in terms of who's cut, who's not, things mm-hmm. like that. But when it comes to contract negotiations, he pretty much outranks everybody in the room, other than obviously Jed. But to me, if that's what caused you to lose Debo, you need to reel that in. Like at some point when things get contentious with all these people, like, don't you have to start to reevaluate like what you're doing? Like, Hey, maybe we, you know, not saying that they should just hand people whatever they want, but like, maybe just maybe like try and make it a little easier, you know, like maybe take your, whatever your initial offer would be and just bump it up just a little, like just a little bit here. Like there's wiggle room here. That's all I'm saying. Uh, it's, it's I don't like when when people give the team a pass for that saying, well, this is what the 49ers do. Well, what the 49ers do could be changed. They're the ones that make the rules. Now, look, I'm going to make an analogy here. It's probably going to annoy you in the beginning. But hear me out. Take your fantasy football league. I'm annoyed. Yeah, I know. But take your fantasy football league. If you got a family fantasy football league that's been going a long time, you know, like I have. There's always that one owner <laughs> that will trade. But he's going to send you, he or she's going to send you a terrible offer to open negotiations. One that they know has a 0% chance of being accepted. But they're opening the door and they're saying, here's your offer. And then they want to negotiate. Well, when somebody does that and they do it a lot, they start to develop a rep where people just tune them out. You know, in my league, my brother is the one that does that. And there are certain people that just don't deal with them. They see a trade offer from them. They just reject it and move on because over the years they've gotten so sick of the low ball offers, even though eventually they might meet middle ground that they just don't deal with it anymore. And if you're doing that as the Niners, which it seems like that's what the Niners do with their big name players is they come in with an offer that they know has a 0% chance of being accepted. Why? If you're doing that every time, eventually that rep really starts to rub people the wrong way. Even though, you know, obviously players don't have multiple negotiations because they get their contract, they're done. But they know what happened to other players. So if you're continually making opening offers that you know this is got 0% chance of ever being accepted, eventually that's going to backfire on you. You're going to have players that, that pisses them off because they know it's coming because they've heard from their buddies in the locker room that that first offer is going to piss you off. And they're saying, if I get that offer, F you. And that might have been what happened with you, but we don't know at this point. But my my point is, is maybe you should bring up those offers to where it at least has some semblance of being accepted. You know what the going rate is. You know what right. the market is, what to be expected. Offering 19 million, you know that's not going to be accepted. But if you came up to like, say, 20, 20 and a half, hey, one, that just sounds better because you hit the 20s. Two, maybe Debo takes it. You know, you, you know what I mean? Maybe... He goes, you know what? I might be able to fight them and get an extra couple million a year, but I'm just going to take it. You know, it's enough. I want to be done. I want to get my big payday as somebody that's not had a big payday yet. You know, you know what I mean? Like there, there comes a point when you can't continually have these opening offers 
that you know just piss off the client. I said, first of all, I don't believe for a second that you aren't the owner in that league. I'm sure you were the guy no, that's I'm trying not. to trade, you know, Debo Samuel for Ray Ray McLeod. No, my brother's always been that way. He was the type that when you played Monopoly as a child, he would rather the game end in a stalemate than make a trade that was fair. So he would just <laughs> refuse to make a trade unless it was a terrible trade for you. And he would just sit there and, well, okay, nobody gets any monopolies. Nobody could build houses. Nobody could build hotels because you're not allowing me to destroy you in a trade. That's how he is. <laughs> I said it weeks ago when this first started. At some point, the 49ers have to realize the value of getting a deal done is greater than the value of getting that extra million a year back or two million a year. Like you can't risk blowing the deal over that. Uh, I like this comment from Michael Murphy watching on the Facebook page. When was the last time we had this much of a player slash draft drama? Last year, Michael, <laughs> when the Niners traded up to three and we didn't know who they were going to take. It is crazy with this team, Levin. There's always something going on. Even if if it came out tomorrow that Debo is staying, there's still a, so much intrigue and so much for us to pay attention to as 49er fans in the first round. It's unbelievable. I mean, count your blessings. I remember what 2007, 2008, <laughs> 2009, you know, the years where it was, well, what bust are we going to take now? Oh. You know what I mean? When the team was completely devoid of talent. Uh, yeah, so count your blessings. Part of that is, you're going to have drama when, one, you trade up to number three, obviously, like you said. But you're going to have drama when you have star-level players because they get to reset the market. And it's hard to negotiate how much of a reset do they get to make. George Kittle was a difficult negotiation because tight ends were vastly underpaid. Nobody yep. had reset the market in a way that they should have in a long time. And so he had to get a deal done that was so crazy above what the previous record was. And that's what comes with star level players. You get these contentious negotiations because non-star level players, you say, here's what we're willing to pay you. And if they say, no, I want more, you say, okay, go find it elsewhere. Paul Sa uh, Saunders watching on the YouTube page. Oh, for a year when we weren't talking about player contracts and could talk about X's and O's. Well, guess what, Paul, a year from now, we're going to be talking about Brandon Ayuk's contract and, we're going to be talking about Nick Bosa's extension if that hasn't happened yet. Like it, that never ends. That part of it um, should be quieter next season. But yes, yeah. If assuming well, Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, there be won't off. be quarterback issues with we'll right because he'll be off the team uh, one way or the other because the contract will be over. CJ Gray on the YouTube page. Everyone knows the Debo situation. Hopefully, changes how the 49ers negotiate. But here's the thing, CJ. They got away with it with Trent Williams, right? They got away with it with George Kittle. They both ended up signing. They signed Fred Warner without incident. So I could see the Niners being like, yeah, maybe it gets contentious, but it works. That's the scary part. You could argue they got away with it with Buckner even because they got the trade that they wanted. They got a very high first-round pick. Did they sign the player they wanted to sign? No. But was that completely because they were being cheapskates? No. Part of that was Buckner wanted a massive payday up front. Yeah, and but here's the thing. They didn't work out from a like they drafted Kinlaw and he can't get on the field. Right. And even when he's been on the in field, retrospect, but at the time that the trade was made, you could say, well, it worked out for him. They they didn't get to sign Buckner, but Buckner wanted basically something that was poison that they couldn't take because of their salary cap situation, and they were able to get really good value in return.
Let's transition a little bit here because I want to talk a little bit of draft. The draft is later today. Uh, yes, I know. Have, have you heard about this? Uh, there are things for 49ers fans to be paying attention to. And for me, obviously, it starts with the Jets, number four and number 10. Uh, number four, they're probably not going to give up for defense. No. So let's just assume that that doesn't happen. The Carolina Panthers at number six. If they take a quarterback, that pretty much ends the discussion. Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to Carolina. Right. But if they don't take a quarterback at six, they don't pick again until the fourth round, until pick 137. So essentially, unless they work some magic, if they don't pick a quarterback at six, they're not getting a quarterback, at least not one of the top ones in this draft. So I'm going to be sitting there like white knuckling the ends of my chair praying that they don't take a quarterback because if they don't, I think that's where Jimmy's going. I mean, he, it's going, he's going there. Or he's going nowhere. I mean, those are the, that's what it's come down to. Now the whole situation with Carolina, it, it makes me wonder if they have one quarterback they have in mind at six, that they would like to get at six. If they get him, they don't want Jimmy, but they think that there's at least a decent chance that he's not there at six. Thus they're sitting and waiting. If he's not there at six, they go, all right, let's transition to Jimmy. Let's offer that a fourth-round pick plus maybe a uh, a third or fourth-round pick next year, see what we can get to get the deal done, you know, whatever it ends up being. Honestly, Jimmy's value, it's anybody's guess at this point because the Niners are behind. Now they eight ball with it. Everybody knows there's not many teams left. They might only get a fourth-round pick for him, but they also might be able to get a second-round pick. You don't know where teams are at. It's just a weird situation. It's hard to, hard to put it there. But – if they don't get a quarterback at six, that means they're transitioning to something because they're not going to run Darnold out there by himself. It's not, not while well, Darnold's definitely our starter now. No, they're going to look into other avenues at that point. Ben McAdoo, their coordinator, literally said, Sam Darnold is our starting quarterback. Oh, well, actually, I, I probably shouldn't have, shouldn't have said that, <laughs> which is fantastic. If, if the Panthers said, look, you can take Jim, or we'll take Jimmy, we'll give you a fourth round pick in 2023, or if you're willing to pay half his salary, we'll give you, I don't know, a second round pick in 2023 or some, you know, some sort of better package. Would you pay half the salary? Or would you just be like, whatever, just take him. I would probably say I would want the lower pick, which is probably the less popular opinion, but the Niners are up against the cap. They're going to continue to be up against the cap because yep. the level of players they have, that money's too important. They can roll it over if they don't spend it, and they're going to need it. And every year down the road, they have a big name needing a contract. Like you said, Ayuk, Boza's still out there. Uh, by the time you ink them to their deals, assuming you ink them to deals, you're going to have Lance coming around. Like That money, to me, you know, half that salary means like $12.5 It's too valuable. I, I could go for it either way. Honestly, like... I, I wouldn't be want, upset if they went the yeah, second round pick, but I just want it to be done, to be honest yeah. with you. Like whatever gets the deal done faster. I'm tired of this merry-go-round, to be perfectly frank. I thought you were gonna ask me, we'll did the Carolina call and say, We'll give you the fourth round pick. And you were gonna ask me if I would take it. And I was gonna tell you, you had me at we'll give you. <laughs> whatever <laughs> it is. Right. Jimmy, and you'll give me? Yes, <laughs> we'll take it. Um 
unless it, unless that sentence ends with Sam Darnold, in which case I want no part of that. Right. And I don't think the 49ers would do that because he's expensive too, and they're trying to get rid of him. No team enters the draft with less salary cap space than the 49ers. It's less than a million dollars in cap space. But if they were to clear Jimmy Garoppolo's contract, they then go to one of the teams with the most amount of cap space going into the draft. But if they don't move him, let me just say this. I think they're going to have to move him before they sign their draft class because they don't have the, the, the money right now. So something's got to go, whether it's uh, an extension that lowers somebody's cap, which is highly unlikely. I think at this point, there are a few things that they can do with certain players, but you know, if you extend Bozo, you can re- really be able to drop his salary cap. No, you might be able to get it around the same, but you're not dropping it, at least not in any significant way. Same way with Debo. You're not going to be able to drop it in any significant well, way. So th- there's not wiggle room there. There's not enough to sign an entire draft class of nine picks. You could, I mean, in theory, the, it depends on how flexible they'd be willing to be, right? But what if you said to like Debo or Bosa, maybe not the, I don't know, whatever, one of them, hey, <laughs> we'll make your salary like a million bucks and we'll just make your, saling, uh, your signing bonus the difference, like whatever that, you know, we'll just give you like 95% of your money as a salary, as a signing bonus. So that doesn't count against the cap. And then your actual salary against the cap is like a million bucks just for the first year. And then as we go along and the cap goes up and Jimmy's off the books, you know, we'll, we'll switch that up. No, cause see the, it's not that easy because you have to have a smaller signing bonus because it becomes prorated. And when you're talking about the level of a deal that Bose is going to get, Let's say $30 million, four years, $120 million. He's probably going to want 60, 70 million guaranteed, right? Right. Well, that, that's prorated over the four years. So say 60 million, four years, you're looking at 15 million in the cap hit before you get to his salary for year one. There's not wiggle room there. The only way you get to have a super low first year hit is being able to have a salary cap that's not crazy or a, a signing bonus that's not crazy high. Now you could work a, technically illegal you know <laughs> wink wink handshake thing that hey after this year we'll restructure and turn it all into sa- uh you know signing bonuses like they do that's how they create cap space in the future when somebody has you know uh like eric armstead or whoever who has a big salary coming up they turn it into a signing bonus that gets prorated through the remaining years of the deal that's how they get the salary cap savings. Say he has three years left on the deal. He's supposed to make $15 million in a salary this year. You turn that salary into a signing bonus instead. That $15 million now gets prorated through all three years. So instead of $15 million salary this year, it's a $5 million signing bonus for this year and $5 million the next year and $5 million the next year. It's a way of kicking the can down the road, essentially, that you only do with players that you're confident you're not going to want to release. Which, Problem is, is when you're signing the contract, nobody's signing a contract saying, sure, don't give me a ton of uh, signing bonus. They want the big signing bonus. The agents want the big signing bonus, especially because well, yeah, I feel like half yeah. of this money is like so the agents can brag to one another and like look good for the other agents. Um, Boza is all but guaranteed to not only reset the market in terms of highest average annual value but biggest guarantees and biggest signing bonus he might get 40 million he's going to be able to reset every single record it's going to be crazy and he deserves it and they should give it to him and i hope we don't even spend a single show talking about why haven't they signed nick bosa yet because it should just be it's interesting that there's been no talk but they did the difference is 
here, in my opinion, is they have the fifth year option. And they so do that. It's not like, yeah, it's it's not like they're up against it where they need to get a deal done or they enter the season and then they get to be a free agent. The next thing I want to get to in the draft to watch for in the first round, we keep talking about the Jets and Debo, the Jets, the Jets, the Jets. But I look, Levin, and there are the Eagles at 15. And you know, Howie Roseman is not afraid to take a big swing and make a big splash. The Eagles have 15 and they have 18 Plus, they have an extra first-round pick next year. Plus, they have an extra second-round pick in 2024, thanks to the trade they made with the Saints. The Eagles need a wide receiver. I wouldn't sleep on them as taking a swing for Debo. And maybe it doesn't come close to what the Jets were going to offer, or maybe the Niners, you know, like we said, their asking price is just so crazy sky-high that it doesn't matter what the Eagles would try. But I think that no one's really talking about them as much as they should be. That is correct. I mean, what have the Eagles been doing the last? Hold on, could you say that into my good ear? What was that? <laughs> uh, yeah, the Eagles. I would argue are just as likely. It's just not. I mean, the Jets have the highest pick in terms of teams most likely to be pursuing. But the Eagles have been trying to get a receiver, been trying to get a receiver, mm-hmm. been trying to get a receiver every year. They've been trying to find their true number one receiver. You know, they went out and spent big money on Ashlyn Jeffrey some years ago, and he ended up being uh, injured all the time. And while he was healthy, he looked pretty good. But by the time he was actually healthy and they were in a contending window, he was a shell of himself due to the injuries. So it wouldn't shock me if they say, screw it, we're biting the bullet. We got all these extra picks. We want to contend now. We're going to get the guy that is guaranteed to be yep. a franchise number one receiver. And you know, Devontae Smith and Debo Samuel, that's really that's good. A pretty good wide receiver core. Like, oh, suddenly Jalen Hurts is looking like a hell of a lot better quarterback in Philadelphia. They've got the, tra- they have the capital. If they want to do it now, granted, it might take all of it, depending on what the Niners are asking for, but they have the draft capital. So, you know, keep an eye on the Eagles. That's another thing I'll say. Um, before we wrap it up, Levin, is there one player that you are hoping for the Niners wind up with at the end of this draft? Because the next time we speak, well, I don't know. Are you going to be around on Friday night for our live draft show on the second round? Yeah, I'll probably be in. I work that day. It kind of depends, but I should probably be tuning in, um, coming on, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I mean, obviously I'm a Purdue guy. I would love to get David Bell and he's falling because he ran a slow 40 time. But he's probably the best route runner in the draft. And he's really good. And he's probably going to be there in the third, fourth round is what it's looking like now. He was a potential first round pick who ran, I think, a four six five forty or something like that because he doesn't have straight line speed. The thing is, is, you know, obviously don't don't sit here and tell I'm not saying they're equivalent, but Jerry Rice was a slow 40 time, <laughs> but he played incredibly fast because he was a really good route runner. Devontae Adams, he has a slow 40 time, but on the field, he's much, much faster because his route running is so good. David Bell is a really, really polished route runner whose straight line speed isn't as big of a deal because of that. I would love to see him just as a Purdue guy. I mean, he's a guy that produced extremely well in college. Yeah, he ran a 4.65 at the combine, and then he ran a 4.71 at his pro day. That is not exactly burner speed, but the 49ers do have multiple spots open uh, at wide receiver. Right now, Levin, do you know they only have two wide receivers on the roster that have gained 300 or more receiving yards in a season? 
And one of those is Debo Samuel. <laughs> Other than that, it's just Brandon Ayuk. Like that. Basically, they have their top three. That's it. That's how bare the cupboard is. Really, it's it's wild. Um, I know that a lot of people have their draft crushes, and I'm just gonna throw this out there, and everyone's gonna laugh at me, and I get it. Um, I've had the chance to talk with a couple different draft draft prospects this week. The guy I like is not a receiver. He's not a running back. He's not a you know, any of the cool flashy he's a kicker. positions. Kicker. He's a kicker, not just a kicker, <laughs> Levin. He's a kicker slash punter. Matt Ariza from San Diego State is just crushing punts left, right, and center. Mitch Wisnowski stinks, okay? I think you need to improve your punting situation. You got a young quarterback. He's going to go three and out. You know, the offense is going to stagnate a little bit. Give me the guy that was booming punts. And I'm trying to find this graphic. Oh, I just found it. This is unbelievable. I don't even know at what point this was last year. He had 29 punts of 50 or more yards, 14 punts of 60 or more yards, and two punts of 80 or more yards. He had 27 punts inside the 20, and that would have led every punter in the NFL at the time. I would have to know what his punt time is because that's an underrated factor in punting in the NFL. You don't get a lot of time. you got to be able to get that off. That was what I brought him up on the show before, Travis Dortch. The reason why he didn't make it as an NFL punter was because it took him so long to punt it. He won the Ray Guy Award in college. He led the nation in punting yardage, but he took a long time to punt the ball. And that just doesn't work in the NFL. Look, Mike Murphy on the Facebook page. That's the dude that can crush 75-yard punts and kick 60-yard field goals. That's the thing, Levin. He kicks field goals, too. So here's what you do. You dump Mitch Wisnowski. You have him punt for the first year. Then when you're done with Robbie Gold's ridiculous contract, (laughs) this guy does both, and you save a roster spot. It's beautiful. I mean, if it were to work out that way, I would be all for it. There's a reason why nobody's been able to do that successfully. And look, I know he's not going to do both. And I know that it's it's a punter. So like, yeah, it'd be fun, whatever. But like, that's the guy I want. The Niners have Mr. Irrelevant. They have the final. I know. In the if draft. they trade that, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, I want that pick. Take him, man. Come on. Wisnowski's, I think, only got one more year left on his deal anyway. Yeah. So like, draft the, draft the kid. Dump Wisnowski. You're not going to take a big cap hit. And there you go. That's your future. That's my draft crush that I want. All right. Let me ask you for a draft thing. What is your dream scenario for the Niners' first pick? And it doesn't have to be at 61. I'm just saying the first pick that they make in the draft, whether it's trade up or whatever, even trade down, what's your dream scenario? My dream scenario is they stay at 61, meaning they don't trade Debo Samuel. They stay where they are, and then I want to see them go – I debate every day. I go back and forth between interior offensive line and safety. If depending on who's there, if if they've got a guy that they love at safety, that they think is an impact guy, not, not like Joukowsky Tart, a younger version of him, somebody that can actually catch the ball and generate turnovers, something like that, then go safety. But if not just any interior offensive lineman, center guard, whatever you got, we need every single spot. 
So that would be my dream scenario. I think that I they need a wide receiver. I think they need another running back too, but you can get those much, much later. At 61, it's got to be either safety or offensive line. Yeah, for me, it, it involves a trade-up. It's not going to happen. They're not trading back into the very end of the first round. But my dream scenario is that they're able to do it, trade you know, maybe a, a future second-round pick to get it done, get in there at 30, 31, 32, and get George Karloftis, who fell mm. for some reason. Purdue guy, went to my high school, like, ultimate. What, do you just take anybody person. from Purdue? That's valuable? Yeah. But no, th- this guy, he is, he's, it's another Purdue guy, but he's Ryan Kerrigan. He is somebody, he's not going to put up gaudy sacks because he's not crazy quick. But goodness, is he phenomenal in the power game. He's still quick enough. And he is as advanced of a pass rusher as you get. He is Nick Bosa in that regard in terms of hand placement and all of that. And he led the NFL in a lot of things in terms of like win rates and things like that. In one-on-one situations, he had the highest win rate, I believe, of anybody in the draft. Like he is a guy that's going to be really good. And if I think he's somebody that pairs really well with Bosa because he's really good in the run game and he's able to be a pass rusher because he wins so often. He's just not somebody that's going to be flying up there with crazy speed. So we'll see where it goes. Uh, the draft is later tonight. We are going to have a Niners Nation Twitter space tonight, assuming the 49ers stay out of the first round. Uh, if they do stay out of the first round, that's what we're going to do, and then we'll do our live show Friday night. We'll, do, we'll go on probably about a, maybe 15, 20 minutes before the Niners make their pick at 61. Uh, Levin, you're going to pop in. Akash is going to pop in. Kyle Posey's going to pop in. A couple other non-Niners Nation faces, I think, are going to make an appearance or two throughout the night. So we'll be there with you, taking your questions, your comments, all that good stuff. It's a perfect time. Rate, review, follow the Niners Nation Podcast Network, everybody. You heard it at the beginning of the show. You leave a review, we will read it on the show, good, bad, or otherwise. We'll try to make all the reviews five stars. Levin, I hope you have a fantastic weekend. I hope all your draft dreams come true, except that all the Purdue players go to the Seahawks instead. (laughs) I hate when that happens. (laughs) (laughs) Then what do you do? Do you cheer for them? Uh, I wouldn't say cheer for them. I hope for them to have good seasons on a crap team. (laughs) Well, you may get your wish with the Seahawks for the next couple of years, hopefully. Anyway, enjoy your Thursday night, everybody. Enjoy enjoy your draft night, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. We'll be right back. 